up, everybody? Welcome into the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Garrett Ross, Pernay Malapati here with you. What's up, man? How you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Last day of classes for me. Last day of classes? Yeah, we got finals next week, so getting ready for that. How you feeling about it? You comfortable? A little confident? I'm, I'm comfortable. I, I just started studying yesterday, so I've got a long way to go. But <laughs> You'll <laughs> we'll get, get it. it. You'll get it, man. I got faith in you. I got faith in you. Let's talk some basketball, dude. Um, we knew, obviously, Scott Drew was going to make some moves in the transfer portal. This is something that he's shown on a regular basis over the past year or so. Uh, he's had a lot of guys come in and, and have had success. It really started this year with Jalen Bridges coming over from West Virginia. Uh, and then one day later, you add Caleb Lomer, uh, the the 6'6 wing coming out of uh, from BYU. This is a kid who was originally from Texas, uh, the Flower Mound area. Baylor had recruited him. Uh, his family moved to Utah, and that's what really led to him going to BYU. When you look at Caleb, uh, what are your thoughts on his skill set and how he could transition into what Baylor does? I like his skill set, and I think he'll fit well in the Big 12. He has the size and the athleticism to do it, and I think he'll be a good replacement for Matthew Meyer if Meyer does end up going to the NBA. Um, Loader's a guy who's, who's like 6'8". He's, he's bulked up a bit over the last year, and he was kind of inconsistent at BYU, but I think that in Scottry's system and with his coaching staff, he'll be able to develop. He'll be able to find his role in, in the team. And I think that he has the ability to kind of be on offense what Matthew Meyer could have been. Um, he was a good shooter his freshman year. He kind of dropped off his second season. But the shooting ability is there. And if he can get that shot, then he'll be a, a good piece to have on offense. And he's also a really energetic guy. He brings that same energy that Meyer did. He's a good rebounder. So I think he'll be a good addition this year. See, that's one thing that kind of concerns me is, is looking at the scoring and I didn't watch enough BYU basketball to really say if that was he wasn't in the positions needed, you know, uh, to to get those open looks, to get the good looks that he saw. But at averaging seven points over two years, uh, six point seven boards, one point one assists, I really wasn't blown away um, by the offensive production. Now he did earn West Coast Conference All Freshman Team uh, two years mm-hmm. ago. That's the one thing that's got me a little nervous. I I feel like Baylor is losing a lot of scorers. Uh, now we don't know. We know they're going to have LJ Cryer and uh, you know these guys coming in next year, but at the same time, you're going to have to replace a lot of the the bulk of your scoring. And just by going off the numbers, I'm a little apprehensive of if Lomer can do that. Yeah, the numbers definitely dropped off, which is a little bit concerning because you expect someone to you expect them to take a jump from his freshman to his sophomore season. He was actually predicted to be first-team all-West Coast Conference preseason and then ended up obviously dropping off a bit. But part of that, we'll have to go back and watch him, but I, I feel like part of that is probably because of the team he was playing on. And BYU was actually a pretty good team last year, so it didn't hold them back too much. Um, but I, I just believe in Scott Drew, and I, I think that Loner has the, has the talent where Scott Drew can develop him and turn him into a, a key contributor in this team. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think it's people, different players have, have gone on to flourish in Scott Drew's system. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe you just need a change of scenery. You know, you happen, 
you see players do that all the time. They'll, they'll struggle, and it doesn't matter the sport or across the professional leagues. All the, Max Muncy's a good example. When Max Muncy went to the league uh, in baseball and he was in Oakland, he really wasn't doing too much. But once he went to the Dodgers, you know, it just that new that new uh, atmosphere and everything opened things up, and he's going on to be real successful. Uh, I think you're, you could this could be a similar situation on the hardwood when you look at Loner. Maybe it's just one of those things where you know, new place, new space, and he could really open up. Absolutely. Uh, change of scenery always helps if someone's struggling and he's coming back closer to home. So maybe that'll, that'll help him out. And maybe his family will be able to attend more games and he'll try to play out for them. And I just, I, I really, again, just really believe in Scott Drew and his coaching staff and their ability to turn players who have talent into contributors. We've seen him do it time and time again with transfers you think about someone like adam flagler or davion mitchell Mm -hmm. um freddie gillespie who's a juco guy and and so i see that i see that playing out again with loader and and speaking of juco guys uh, baylor brought in another transfer in dantuan grimes who he wasn't rated very high his only other power five offer even from the transfer portal was oklahoma state so he's he's not someone that a lot of teams were high on, but but Scott Drew has an eye for talent, and I think that that's another guy who could be a contributor down the road. He probably won't be a big contributor this year because Juco Juco transfers at least usually take at least a year to to transition to a Power Five conference. But I think that leaves Dale Bonner as the starting point guard as of right now, and I think. Grimes could be a contributor later on. That's a really good point. And I like how you who you brought up and mentioned the Freddie Gillespie comparison and aspect because you never really know about those guys. And I think that really goes back to to the talent and, and the evaluation that you brought up with Coach Drew. I mean, this is a situation where I I saw the I saw Grimes coming in and I'm thinking, okay, we're bringing in a JUCO guy. A lot of the times these are hit and miss, but I mean he's averaging over 14 points. Uh and I really my my first thought was if Dylan Hunter, it, I feel like all this really went into place with Dylan Hunter's decommitment. Yeah, you know it, it really opened up a slot, and then at the same time, while Flagler did enter the the draft, we don't know. I mean, he you know he he kept the the option. He didn't get a um an agent, so there's still the possibility to come back. But I do like the move bringing him over more as an insurance policy than anything else. Yeah, um, and especially for this year, he's not going to be a big contributor. But again, Scotcho just has a way of developing those transfers, developing those Juku guys um, over a year or two and then turning them into key players. So I think that Grimes will be another guy who will help Baylor in 2023 when they also get Mira Little at point guard. So. They'll have, they'll, have, they'll have some good guards that year. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to really see what this team looks like next year because while you have some chemistry and, and some key players coming back, especially in the middle with Chumma Chachawa and Flo Thamba, the, the guards are, are going to be something where you could have some chemistry, but you're more than likely not. How do they, they fix and how does that bond together to put together another run? And – it made me think of where Baylor's going to be at heading into next season as far as um, how they're they're obviously going to be viewed as one of the top programs. But yeah. with North Carolina essentially reloading and bringing everyone back, you're the defending national champs. 
you gotta expect they're probably gonna be the front runner. But we saw with with Baylor this year, it's so hard to repeat at the college level. Yeah, it's so hard. And UNC is definitely the favorite heading into next season. They brought everyone except for Brady Manic back. Um, Caleb Love probably takes another step this year. He was he was great last year, but he just wasn't efficient. And if he gets that efficiency up, UNC is going to be. I mean, that team could be a one-loss team in the ACC potentially go go for an undefeated season with just the guys they have. Armando Baycott, I've been high on him for a while. He's just so He's a good, dude, man. <laughs> um, but I think that Baylor has a shot. If if Adam Flagler does come back, then I see Baylor being another top-tier contender this year once again. If he doesn't, then it's going to come down to how Bridges and, and Loner transition into this offense and how they mesh with the team. Because obviously you have those guys, then you have a couple of recruits coming in with Keontae George and then Langston Love coming back from injury. So you said it. Chemistry is going to be what determines where this Baylor team goes next season. It really is. And look, I, I could see this being a situation where, because you know Baylor's going to play stiff competition out of the gate. They're going to end up one of these tournaments and they're going to play, you know, Blue Bloods in there. Um, you might see a couple of L's early on. I don't think that's anything to be worried about whatsoever because if you can if you can make it through the non-con schedule and you know you take a couple of lumps here and there, but you start rolling in Big 12 play, I think you're mm-hmm. going to be just fine, and that's what you need. But I think with Especially the chemistry. Especially because Sean Machach was probably not going to come back until like halfway through really, the season since he's, he's really, still hurt. Really good point. Really good point on that one. Um, So, man, I want to make the transition here. Baylor wrapped up their spring football game this past Saturday. Uh, so now we just got to wait until August. So I want to take a look at this football schedule coming up for next season. And I want to give our predictions on a regular season record. I just want to focus on regular season right now, but I want to do that next here on the Bears Illustrated podcast. Welcome back into the Bears Illustrated podcast. Garrett Ross, Pernay Malapati here with you. And man, let's take a look at this uh, Baylor schedule. First off, the Bears are coming off a 12-2 season. You're defending Big 12 champs. You're reigning Sugar Bowl champs. But so ideally, you're you're thinking what? Double, do you want double-digit wins, right? You don't want to take a step back. No, you want to take a step forward, especially with all the guys coming back. But at the same time, a lot of these big games are on the road. Uh, where you had the, the benefits of having them at home last year. Uh, a lot of these are going to go on the road, man. Uh, and look, I I try to be a realist with this, and I hope I'm wrong. I have Baylor going 8-4 and four in the regular season, and I have them going 6-3 and three in the Big 12. Woo, 6-3. I have them going 6-3 and three in the Big 12. And the main reason I do this is I don't know that I can trust them yet on the road because you've had a couple opportunities last year. Um, you go up to TCU, that was a complete embarrassment. And I don't think – look, I know nobody really expected Chandler Morris to come out and 
ball the way he did. Um, but that just can't happen. And I think that's really what cost them uh, a spot in the CFP. Um, then you go to Stillwater. You get in a real true road atmosphere on the night. Um, and you can't come away with a win. This year, I mean, you're going to have to go to Norman. You got to go while they have owned Texas, and I don't really know how you want to put it with the horns. You got to go to Texas. You're going to BYU. You're going to Lubbock. There are a lot of hostile games, uh, and I'm just a little nervous because, I mean, while a lot of experience is coming back, this they're still young in some key areas. They're young in a couple areas. They're young at wide receiver and the secondary, but I'm not too concerned with the receivers, especially after what we saw in the spring game. Um, and I'll say this, the first step towards becoming a great coach is, is to win at home. And Dave Aranda did that last season. And the next step is to teach your team and, and have your team win on the road. And I think that Dave Aranda will help Baylor take that step this season. So I have Baylor going... 11 and one this year in the regular season. And I'm not ruling out 12 and 0 if Blake Shapin is a starter. Oh, you, I like that. I like how you're really, really on the Blake. And I look, I think Blake Shapin looked like the starter coming out of that spring game. So we don't no, know. I'm really we, on that bandwagon, man. Like yeah, I, you are. You're, I mean, you got the <laughs> article out and everything. And if you haven't checked it out, man, go to bearsillustrated.com. Check out my man's article on why Blake Shapin should be the starter. Let's go through this. Let's go through the schedule real quick. So, September 3rd, um, Baylor's going to welcome in Albany to wake up. What's Albany's mascot? You know their mascot? The Greyhounds. The Great Danes. The Great Danes? It is the Great yeah. Danes. Albany Great Danes coming to town. You got to give them a win, right? Uh, yeah, Bears by 50. Bears by 50? <laughs> they better be. I mean, look, <laughs> you can't let them come down and get a paycheck and not put 50 on them. Right. All right. Then they're going to head to Provo. You're going out to take on BYU, which is you know going to be a future Big 12 game. You took care of them last year. I got them losing out there. I have Baylor losing. I think BYU's crowd showed that they could be a factor last year with the, the numbers they brought to McLean, as loud as they were. Um, I feel like that is a team with something to prove. Knowing that Baylor, Oklahoma State, you know, these are going to be the the face teams, and BYU's trying to work their way in to be a face team as well as the new look Big 12. Um, I, I like what they have in the experience at the quarterback position, and their receivers are explosive and dynamic. I'm a little concerned about Baylor's secondary. I think we're going to find out a lot about those guys on the back end in this BYU game, but I got the Cougars uh, giving Baylor an L there. So I see two games on this Baylor schedule that I could see the Bears falling in. And this BYU game is definitely one of them. BYU is a really good team. They have a really good head coach, and it's on the road at Provo. Um, but I'm going to say that Baylor wins this game just because of how deep they are in the trenches. And I think that gets them over the hump here. That's a good point, especially the offensive line. I know BYU's defensive line really struggled last year. Uh, you know, if Baylor can push them around up front, get the run game going, you know, I think they could t- they they have a chance. I just like BYU's chances at home and that crowd. I feel like they have a lot to prove in that game. Um, and, and I'm just kind of nervous because I feel like that's going to be the first time we see that secondary get tested 
Um, but you know, hey, hopefully they can hold up, prove me wrong. You know, I, I'm you know, it just is what it is. Uh, then on September 17th, you're looking at Texas State coming to Waco. I'm pretty sure we're both in in contention. Yeah, that's that's going to be a blowout, another, right? Another yeah, another another easy win. Hopefully not as tight as it was this season. Yeah, I think that's another point, right? I think that you're not going to – you could say we're not looking back all you want to. I think in the player's mind, they, they're they going to put it on them. You know, they they, yeah. they got something to, <laughs> to prove on that one. September 24th, you're going to head to Ames, and you're going to take on the Cyclones. Um, you know, we're going to have Nick Oson on for the 247 site here uh, pretty soon, and we'll let, dive into this matchup one-on-one. But uh, – I just feel like the Cyclones have really lost a lot, especially on the offense. And while they yeah. are at home, um, I feel like Baylor, for the same reasons you were talking about with BYU, the the trenches, I think Baylor goes up there and gets it done. Yeah, I think Iowa State's just in a rebuilding year. They lost Brock Purdy. They lost Brees Hall. They lost Charlie Kohler. Um, So, yeah, I think that Baylor wins this game pretty comfortably. All right, so October 1st, you are going to host Oklahoma State. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, obviously Oklahoma state's got a bad taste in their mouth. They got, um, beat by Baylor in the big 12 championship game. I, I just, I don't trust Spencer Sanders. I never have. Um, he's too inconsistent. I think Oklahoma state, while they are a talented team and a well-coached team, do not bring back the talent Baylor possesses and Baylor will bring back. I like Baylor to, to come out and take care of business against the pokes. Yeah, I also think Baylor wins this game and advances to 5-0. and I think losing Jim Knowles, a defensive coordinator, takes is a big hit for Oklahoma State's defense as well as losing a couple of their star players. Um, Oklahoma State is going to be a really good team this season, but I don't think they're going to be that upper-tier team that they were last year, and I think Baylor wins this game. I do too, and that, that's a really good point. Um, October 13th, this is a weird one. And I didn't realize this until I was looking at the schedule earlier. This is going to be a Thursday night game in Morgantown. Um, that could be tricky. Uh, Morgantown's never really the easiest place to get to. Um, you have to change your schedule up. It, it, you know, Did I've, you know that Baylor has never won at West Virginia? You know what? I think I did. but I Yeah, because they, they had that real big shootout up there the first year in. Yeah, and, then, and they, yeah. the season in 2014 when they, they missed the college football playoff and finished number five, that was their one loss. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, look, this is a good opportunity. It, it, West Virginia is one of those teams where they're really struggling. They've had so many guys hit the portal up there. It's insane. Um, you do have JT Daniels coming in from Georgia at quarterback, reuniting uh, with Graham Harrell. But what what do you have to work with um, from a playmaker standpoint for, for both of them. I, I don't think you really have much. Uh, I think Baylor goes up there and gets that, that first win in Morgantown. I do too. I think that Baylor was game. It's going to be intriguing to see JT Daniels. Um, he wasn't able to put it together at Georgia, but maybe he'll be able to put it together at West Virginia and make them a sleeper team. But I just don't think they're good enough to compete with Baylor this year. Yeah. Um, October 22nd, the Bears are going to welcome in Kansas. Now look, I think Kansas can surprise some people this year. I think they'll make this game more entertaining than what some people might expect. Um, but I still got Baylor big. Yeah, this is a game to come out to. Like usually when you see Baylor playing Kansas, 
it's like uh, we're gonna win 40, 40 to zero. Right, but right. this is a game. This could be an entertaining game to watch. Um, but yeah, Baylor, Baylor wins this game. Yeah, Kansas, I think, is really going to might sneak up on somebody this year, kind of like they did Texas last year. Uh, October 29th, this is when things are really going to get interesting. Uh, you're going to have your – this is the beginning of your toughest road stretch and your toughest stretch of the season, in my opinion, and it starts mm-hmm. by heading out to Lubbock. Um, while Texas Tech isn't as talented of a team as Baylor right now, and they are going through a massive – coaching change you have joey mcguire headed out there the energy that has been sparked up in west texas and lubbock texas has been really remarkable i feel like their crowd can create an atmosphere that can contend with a lot of people in the nation mm-hmm. i feel like this is a game where joey mcguire has a lot to prove facing baylor for the first time as a head coach I'm going to give Tech the sneaky win in this one. I think it's going to really? be an ugly game. Already? I, I just – I think this is one of those ones where you got to be you, – you can't overlook this. And, I, no. and going into Lubbock, that hostile environment with everything, this is going to be – there are going to be so many recruits at this game because of the, the recruiting battle that is amped up between Baylor and Texas Tech. There's so much on the line – and I'm giving Tech this win in a close one. Maybe even like one point. Texas Tech and Baylor have almost always played close games, so I could definitely see this being a close game. Um, and Joey McGuire is doing a fantastic job already as Texas Tech's head coach. They have one of the best recruiting classes for, I think, 2023. But I just don't think they have enough talent right now to to beat Baylor this year. So I think Baylor goes in there and wins it. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I hope you're right. Uh, and, and the talent's going to be the real the real factor there. I just that environment, man. There's that energy. There's going to be it's it's going to be a tough night for Baylor. And look, they can go in there and get the win. I'm not saying that they can't. I just I feel like that. I think there's... I think the. The big thing for me is that I think that Baylor is going to be very focused week in and week out this year. I think Aranda is going to make sure that the team takes every game seriously. And so that's why I don't think they'll slip up in these games that they're simply the better team. In. You hope so. I mean, you you know, I hope so. Because, but that was the instance last year in TCU. Things happen, man. Um, but you're going to have to, regardless of win or loss, you're going to have to flush it and you're going to have to focus because – on November 5th, you're headed to Norman. Um, obviously, there's a lot going on in Oklahoma, a lot of changes. If you saw their spring game, seventy over 75,000-plus there, the energy's there. You have a new offensive coordinator in Jeff Levy, who Baylor just saw in the Sugar Bowl as he was with Ole Miss. Uh, this offense is going to be orchestrated by Dylan Gabriel, coming over from UCF, uh, who was with Jeff Levy. Uh, I think... Ah, this is an intriguing game. Uh, I'm going to give Oklahoma the win just because of the fact they're playing at home. Uh, I just something about the energy and in, in everything they're doing right now. I'm going to ride with the Sooners in that game. This is the second game that I could see Baylor losing. If, if Baylor wins at BYU early on and then does what they should do the rest of the way, it comes into this game 
at 8-0. I think we get college game day here, and I think this is this is the game of the season in the Big 12. Um, and really, I think that Baylor should be favored in this game, but I I don't see them going undefeated in in the regular season, so I'm going to say this is where they fall. Um, if Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy put it together and and get Gabriel playing at that high level that he has played at at times, then he's going to be a, a big challenge for the Baylor secondary that's lost a lot of pieces. Um, but if Blake Shapin's playing, I I think there's a chance that Baylor wins this game and then goes undefeated. Okay. Okay. And that's a big if. That's if Blake Shapin's playing. There you go. Beating the drum for the Blake Shapin again. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I see that. All right. Let's take a look. November 12th. Uh, you're welcome in K-State to town. Adrian Martinez is a quarterback. Your Baylor's going to win. I mean, is there any doubt yeah. on that? K-State could be a good team. That that option offense with Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn, that's it's tricky, but I think Baylor will be able to handle them. I'll give Deuce Vaughn the credit. I'm not touching Adrian Martinez. I, I, I do not like that move. I, Deuce Vaughn, all day. I got mad respect for Deuce Vaughn. Hey, jo- Josh Neighbors told us a couple of days ago that this is his sleeper. Yeah, it, look, we're, we're going to find out. I mean, he, he we're going to find out what, if Josh is right or what, but I just I cannot get behind Adrian Martinez. All right, November 19th, the rivalry game for Baylor as they welcome in the Horn Frogs. Obviously, you're coming off a disappointing loss up in, T- in Fort Worth last year. Uh, there's a lot of turnover going on in Fort Worth. I feel like this is one where Baylor really comes out and handles business uh, heading into that final game of the season. Yeah, I think so too. I, I'd be more worried if Chandler Morse is playing over Max Duggan because of what he did to Baylor last year. But we'll have film on him. We'll have film on him now. So I think Baylor gets the job done. All right, then November 26th, they wrap up the regular season in Austin against the Texas Longhorns. Okay, so this is weird. I can never figure Texas out. If you look at their roster year in and year out, there's no excuse for them not to be competing for national championships or playing in the college football playoff. For whatever reason, they cannot put it together on the field. It's a constant disaster, dysfunction, never living up to the hype. If anybody can turn that around, I think it's got to be Sark with the players he has now. I think Quinn Ewers truly is the best quarterback to step on that campus in quite some time. He's got all since the... Since Young. Yeah, easily since Vince Young. He's Well, Colt McCoy. I would say since Colt McCoy. I'll, I'll put Quinn Ewers. I think Ewers is better. I, th- I think Ewers will be better than Colt. I need to see it first. I, th- I think he has the potential to be but I'm going to have to see it. So I'm going to say he's the best quarterback on that campus since Colt McCoy. Um, you have a plethora of playmakers around you. But at the same time, it's the last game of the season. Have you completely, if you're Texas, have you completely imploded once again? Uh, I think it's really going to depend on the circumstances headed in. Right now, I have, just because of the games in Austin I, I, and all of the talent in the world surrounding the Longhorns, I have Texas getting the win over Baylor. Now, that could easily change because Texas is like the weather here, man. It literally, you never know what you're going to get coming out of Austin from minute to minute, 
A monkey can be attacking somebody. You you, <laughs> you never know, dude. And so, but right now, given the circumstances, if we're looking talent wise, we're looking everything. Uh, I got the horns getting the win. But uh, what are you looking at in this game? Texas always has a lot of talent, and this year they might actually even have more talent than they usually do. I'm very high on Quinn Ewers. I think he's going to be the best quarterback in the Big 12 and one of the best in the country. Um, obviously, they have B. John Robinson, a running back. They have two really good wideouts. And look, I think that the problems at Texas are deeper than the players and the coaching staff. I think it goes a lot deeper than that into the mm-hmm. culture, into the boosters, the power that they have. But that's that's a longer discussion for another day. Um, but the reason I have Baylor winning this game on the field is because Texas offensive line is simply not that good this year. Um, and Baylor has an incredibly deep defensive line that – shut down B. John Robinson for the most part last year, and then they'll they'll have a great pass rush this year. They'll get to Quinn Ewers. I just think that the trenches are too lopsided in this game for Texas to win. Which is so crazy. I mean, it's true. I like the statement. It's just crazy to think that that's where we're at. But that shows the evolution of this program for Baylor, that when you can talk about the trenches, Absolutely. it's not the Bears that you're talking about a concern with. And that's a breath of fresh air for if you're a Got Baylor fan. Bears down there, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right, man. So coming up next, I want to jump into this. I want to. We're going to start doing a tour around the Big 12. And I wanted to start no other than in Norman, Oklahoma. I was blown away by the crowd. There's so much to talk about uh, regarding the Sooners. So we're going to be joined by Joey Helmer, who covers the Sooners for 24-7 Sports, next here on the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Back into the Bears Illustrated podcast, where we are joined now by Joey Helmer from Oklahoma's Two Four Seven. Joey, how you doing, man? Doing well, guys. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. good. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me on, man. Let's start with this this spring game. Seventy five thousand plus on hand to attend. What were the what were the overall thoughts going into this and? Was there more buzz around this regarding the way Lincoln Riley left or or what went into the, the big crowd? Guys, we've we've heard for well shoot, almost five months now since everything went down with Lincoln Riley and uh, Brent Venables being hired. Um, how there's been just kind of this uh, rejuvenated feel with Oklahoma's program and the fan base and it really all culminated in what you saw the other day. Now, I think going into it, um, the, the record was like 50,000, 51,000, something like that was their spring record um, attendance before this. And so I, I thought it was going to top that number, uh, maybe be in the 55, 60,000 range. I did not anticipate it, it would get to 75,000 plus. And so um, I think. There's just this feel around the program right now with the fan base. They feel like they're uh, included again. They felt isolated um, as the Lincoln-Riley era went on. Um, They felt like they were distant from the program. uh, Some of that is with the alumni base of the players as well. And that was another part of the storyline. There was 250-plus former players that were at this 
spring game the other day. So, um, yeah, it's just the energy around the program is really unbelievable right now. And um, I, I think the, the Lincoln-Riley, um, you know, that was the first time that the fans were able to kind of make a statement that, you know, this program is bigger than, than one person. And so maybe that was a part of it, but also – uh, Venables has been kind of urging the the fan base to to be a part of this thing at the spring game since he took over. So, um, I think both of those factors, and uh, there's no doubt about it, the fans showed up. I was told that they eventually just started letting people in um, <laughs> because they um, the the lines were so for you guys. Uh, you, you've been to Norman, you know how the stadium kind of sets up. And on the south side, you have Lindsay Street there. Mm-hmm. And the lines were backed up all the way to that, to Lindsay Street. So oh, wow. uh, they finally, at some point in the first quarter, and, and guys, there were fans that were still filtering in like early in the second quarter. So it was pretty unbelievable. That's insane, man. Per day? Joey, Joey, what do you see? Brent Venables bringing to this team that maybe Lincoln Riley hadn't brought when he was here? Toughness. Um, Oklahoma, uh, you know, they're going to have a defense again. And, and I think uh, you, you you guys have seen a really good blend of both sides of the football down in Waco. You guys have had a good defense um, on display there. Um, and Oklahoma has been lacking that for the better part of a decade. I don't think um, since really like 2009 would be the last time you could look at an Oklahoma defense and be like, man, that group is absolutely nasty. This is an Oklahoma defense uh, that we're used to seeing. And historically, you know, that's that's been the case. Oklahoma has had a dominant defense, and that hasn't been the case over the – the last decade i think the 15 defense uh, ranked pretty good statistically but uh, they, they just have not um lived up to their standards on that side of the ball and so uh, he's he's gonna bring that for sure and there's a mentality change in place right now a, a culture shift um that, that's very evident um from from watching you being around the the players in this program Speaking of that defense, I know during the spring game, Joshua Eaton had a, a pretty good outing. Is he a player that you could see really flourish under under Brett Venerable's defense? And who are some of the other names to keep an eye on? Yeah, there's a number of guys that are, are going to start to flourish. Uh, Ethan Downs is uh, one that's a, a very popular pick for a breakout player. Uh, could, could be really, really good. A true freshman, Jaron Kanick, um, is – has a, a looks all the part already of a guy that uh, could potentially be a superstar. Uh, they've also brought some players in like Jeffrey Johnson, who, who's a transfer defensive lineman from Tulane, uh, who had a, a really productive career there, I think, uh, could step in. And um, obviously he's got a season here to make an impact. So uh, across the board, uh, you, you're going to see – in Oklahoma is is going to be deeper defensively once Brent Venables gets his system in place. That's something that's been lacking, and I've talked about that on a number of occasions. The depth just never really got there under Lincoln Riley, and I think you're going to see an emphasis on uh, having not you know one unit that can play, but uh, enough. The way Oklahoma and Venables want to play, to be able to, to move a true two-deep roster here. 
Speaking of transfers, let's talk about the biggest transfer for Oklahoma this offseason. Quarterback Dylan Gabriel was a guy who, who was pretty successful at UCF. He played with under Jeff Levy for a year. Um, but he struggled at times when he played those really solid defenses. And you mentioned how good a school like Baylor's defense is. So do you think that Dylan Gabriel will have any trouble adjusting to a Power 5 conference and playing that higher quality of defense? We'll see. I, I suppose there there is uh, maybe that question mark. Uh, the one thing I'll say about Gabriel, and it's it's really surprising because uh, when you look at this roster, and you know, there's new coaches. Obviously, the new, you know half of an entirely new coaching staff, and then on top of that, you have a number of new players. And oh, by the way, then you have one of those that's Dylan Gabriel, who's uh, supposed to lead your team. And by all accounts, from day one, it's like he'd been here for three or four years. And um, immediately the players gravitated to him. So uh, I think that will help him in some ways. Uh, He's going to have a good complement of players around him to, to, um, you know, navigate uh, that question in terms of, the step up in the level of the competition. And there's no doubt about that it is a step up. Um, you're coming to, uh, you know, the Big 12 and uh, a power, um, a collegiate power in Oklahoma. So he'll be expected to play really good at that position. And uh, Oklahoma's going to be fast offensively under Jeff Levy. Um, you guys are obviously familiar with him as well. So um, he, there, there's excitement on both sides of the ball, and and I think, man, this this offense could if it comes into play, I think Dylan Gabriel has a, a chance to be really good, guys, and I think he's certainly a dark horse Heisman con- contender. I know he's definitely got oh, wow. the best best wide receiver core he's ever dealt with in his life. I mean, y'all are loaded. <laughs> Marvin Mims is the best high school receiver I've ever seen in person, and Theo East is legit as well. So I know he's got some good pieces to work with from that aspect. Yeah, uh, Theo Weiss, as you bring him up, Marvin Mims obviously can, can stretch the field in, in ways we've seen before. But uh, Weiss has had one uh, really good season a couple of years ago. And other than that, you know, I was asked, I mentioned Ethan Downs on the defensive side of the ball for guys that could break out. And uh, one that I actually singled out on my brother's radio show here in Norman is uh, Theo Weiss. I, I feel like there's a different level that he can take his game to uh, this year if he's able to stay healthy. And, man, if he's able to do that and you have him and um, uh, Marvin Mims and uh, you, you got Drake Stoops, who's really reliable, and uh, then, of course, Braden Willis came back to to show off his uh, pass-catching ability for one more year. It's a pretty good receiving core all around that Dylan Gabriel is going to have to work with. I think for me, you know, it's crazy that we're talking, like Oklahoma's been so consistent at the quarterback position. It's rare to see them start over really with a transfer guy. But then when you look at behind Dylan Gabriel, do they have the right pieces on the roster right now to support him? Or are they going to have to hit the portal to bring in a guy to back him up? It's a great question. And it's actually uh, one that uh, Venables addressed the other day. Uh, they're they're going to be looking into the portal uh, for a quarterback that could uh, back up Dylan Gabriel. And so, um, yeah, that's that's absolutely right now. When you look at the question marks that Oklahoma has, um, someone behind 
Dylan Gabriel is absolutely uh, one of those question marks. You saw a little bit of Nick Evers, who's a true freshman from Flower Mound. Uh, Micah Bowens has been in the roster for a little while. Ben Harris and Ralph Rucker are a couple of walk-ons. But um, when you look at, you know, playing at a winning level, you, you, I mean, if you lose Dylan Gabriel, you got to feel like you have something behind him that, uh, can be good. And so, yeah, Oklahoma absolutely will be looking to the portal for, for that potentially. You mentioned the the fast up-tempo offense that Jeff Levy is going to be going to be bringing to Oklahoma. And that's something he, he kind of developed under our, under our Bryles at Baylor for a long time. So how do you see that offense working out when he brings it back to the big 12? Well, I and he's talked about this spring, and the players have kind of talked about, you know, that offense has evolved. So it's obviously going to be very similar to what um, he he did there at Baylor some. And then um, when he went to UCF and then Ole Miss last year, and he's picked up little nuances along the way uh, that will be able to, um, you know, he'll install those at Oklahoma. So um, I, I think, the thing that in Venables even mentioned that how much, you know, the offense can continue to evolve. So it's going to be fast. I mean, that's the overlying <laughs> thing. They are going to, man, I mean, they get up and they snap the ball and the, the term that they've said, and, and I don't know how much he said it <laughs> down there with you guys, but they smelling blood in the water on every series. And, <laughs> The, these offensive linemen, I, I think it allows them, and that's another thing for them is they're they're breaking in a new group at offensive line, a couple of uh, new guys up front there with the returning guys. So I think that helps them out a little bit, um, you, you know, to, to think a little bit less when you're going that fast. So th- there's multiple element, elements at play here, but it's, it's one that I was, <laughs> you know, I – when I went on some other shows here recently, I said Oklahoma fans are going to be excited to watch it. And they've been obviously excited to watch Oklahoma offenses here in the past. But man, this one's going to be different in the fact that they're going to run at that tempo all the time. When you're going that fast, you obviously need to be deep because of the rotations to keep people fresh. Uh, when you look at the running back position, what type of contributions, with that being said, do you think we could see from true freshman uh, Javante Barnes? No, oh, he's he's absolutely going to be a contributor. Uh, you saw he he scored a couple of touchdowns in the spring game the other day, and uh, we we've been out to uh, I think five or six practices, and it took no more than about five seconds at the first practice to look and, and see and say, "Wow, this guy looks the part." So uh, he he's he's going to be an instant contributor. There's no doubt about it. Um, you go along with a veteran like Eric Gray um, there at that position. And uh, let's face it anymore. I mean, the running back position is you, you have to have multiple two and three Mm -hmm. and four guys sometimes that um, can can operate there in order for that position to to be good because there's just so much uh, banging in the physicality of the position. And that's something else with the offense I should have mentioned Oklahoma is going to get back to uh, really the, the power running game and things like that. And so that even <laughs> emphasizes more the ability to have 
a, a big guy like a six foot 203 uh, that Javante Barnes already stands in as a true freshman to be able to to take some of those hits there at that position when you talk about the inside run game. Taking a bigger picture look at Oklahoma season, it's still early on, obviously, but as of right now, what do you see Oklahoma doing this season and uh, what's their ceiling? Well, they, you know, if things go as planned here, they really should be favored in every single game. Uh, as you kind of project, uh, obviously, uh, the Baylor games at home this year, that's a, an incredibly tough one. And um, you had the, the Red River game, which is always, <laughs> you, you guys know what that is. That's a bloodbath every single year. But uh, the, ske- the schedule really sets up pretty nicely. You, you get UTEP and Kent State uh, before you go to Nebraska for uh, that big non-conference game. And then you open up with K-State at home. There's, you know, the TCU game in Fort Worth and, um, things like that, but it, it, just by and large, overall, I, I think the the schedule sets up good for Oklahoma, even with a new staff and a bunch of a newcomers to to have a very real chance to uh, not only win the Big Twelve again and come back and um, take that back after their streak for a few years, but then also maybe uh, get into the college football playoff as well, depending on if it's a one loss team and how all that scenario shakes out at the end of the season like it always does. And you, I, I was going to go somewhere else, but when you mentioned the Red River shootout, it, this was something I wanted to get to. As Oklahoma and Texas transition to the SEC, is that a game that's going to stay neutral side, or do you see them going home and home? I think it stays neutral side. I just, man, I, I, I have a really hard time even thinking about that game being a home and home anymore. I, I mean, it, it would be awesome. Um, for Oklahoma to host Texas and Texas to host Oklahoma. But it just the the fair, and, and you've heard the talk uh, plenty of times about moving it to Jerry World and all of that. And I just, I, I have a hard time in my mind, and it, it, it may at some point, it, it really may, it may not be that far off in the future, but taking that game away from uh, all the pageantry at the, the the cotton bowl would just be so foreign to me. So um, I, I do think it stays a neutral game, whether or not it goes over to Jerry world here at some point in the future, we'll see. But yeah, I, I just, it, it splitting both sides at the, the 50 like that. It's just, if it's a game as a college football fan that you haven't been to, there's nothing else like it. And there's great rivalries. Uh, there, there's many great rivalries, but, it's different than any other rivalry in college right. football. Do you think Bedlam stays alive once they go to the SEC, and then and then once they do make that move, what game are you most looking forward to there? It's the, it's the big question right now. I think Oklahoma is fine either way. I know Oklahoma State still right now is uh, frustrated about how it all went down. So we'll see the dynamics there. There's obviously a lot in state that's. Uh, going on with that. I would like to see Bedlam still be played. Now, on a personal note, it, it would, you know, it's a it, it's a fun game. It's an in-state rivalry. It's been around for so long. So from that standpoint, I'd like to see it played. Um, as far as, um, it, it depends on the schedule, but man, I, I mean, you, you look in, in Oklahoma playing Alabama, Oklahoma playing LSU. I think a game that is potentially, if you talk about Bedlam, if it does uh, dissolve, 
I, I think a game that's going to become a big rivalry is Oklahoma and Arkansas. Oh, yeah. Uh, you look yeah. and the, obviously the proximity, that is going to become a big-time rivalry. I, I'm excited for that. And What about uh, Texas A&M? Texas A&M, yeah. You, you talk about getting them and um, – Back it back in the Oklahoma back in the fold with playing them that's going to be a rivalry and then you look across the way at just some of the matchups with Florida and Georgia I mean they're just awesome matchups but um, you, you have the blue blood of Oklahoma and Alabama and then uh, to me again I, I think that's going to be a heated rivalry you, you give it a few years and Arkansas Arkansas fans Arkansas they don't they don't like Oklahoma they, they make no bones about it they do not like Oklahoma and I don't think it'll take very long for Oklahoma to say, hey, you know, we don't really like you guys very much either. <laughs> I'm looking and forward to that big, one. Big brother, little brother going on there. So yeah, I want to – It could be a little bit of that. I want to go get into this Barry Switzer NIL deal. I don't really know two of the too many of the intricacies here, but what's going – what's the process of – him, I mean, is this like old resources he used to have? Now we're making it legal, where you're bringing forty thousand to pay to each player, or what's going on with that? Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, <laughs> it, the, the biggest thing is, he says we're changing the game. We're, we're changing the game here. So, uh, but <laughs> I, I, we'll we'll see the dynamics of it. I, I don't know all the specifics at this point in time, but. Uh, the one thing I will say is I don't know that there's a better person that you could have in charge of an NIL deal at Oklahoma right now than Barry Switzer. So I agree. From, from that standpoint, you know, it, it's uh, – I, I just the, – the evolution of this whole thing is really unbelievable when you look at just the past dynamics of the game and now um, with, with players being able to – the profitability so much, it's like – things that used to be totally illegal and now it's like, wow, it's, it's all legal and, and encouraged in so many ways in the sport. So Baker Mayfield had his Heisman trophy statue revealed a couple of days ago. And with that happening and with Oklahoma, obviously getting ready to move to the sec, I thought it'd be timely to ask you this. Who do you think is Oklahoma's greatest player in the big 12 era? Oh man, there, there, there's, there's so many of them. I mean, everyone wants to say Baker Mayfield. Adrian Peterson was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, then you talk about uh, two other guys that, well, well, three other guys. I mean, <laughs> Sam Bradford. I'm trying to trying to think back more to the early days. Uh, you, you know, you had yeah uh, guys like Rocky Kalmus and Teddy Lehman and, and Roy Williams, of course, with the Superman play, and then. You got three other Heisman Trophy winners at quarterback in Sam Bradford and Jason White, and then Kyler Murray, of course. So there's been just so many great players. Uh, I, it, it's funny because I put these lists together, and I haven't done one for a little while. But uh, back when we had the pandemic, you know, <laughs> we we're coming having to come up with all these stories, right? Uh -huh. Like I'm, I'm looking at all these different players in. I did my all decades team in the two thousands and then the 2010s. And I'm just looking at all these names and it's really just unbelievable going through them. So, uh, I mean, everyone's, 
a lot of people think Baker Mayfield's the best player in the history of the program. And uh, then you go Adrian Peterson. And uh, but to me, uh, Leroy Selman is the best player in the history of the program. But uh, there, there's, and there's so many names of guys in, in the, you, the, by and large, the bulk fit was the Stoops era there, of course, but lots of great players, lots of great players in the Big 12 era. That's an interesting question. I, I, look, if I had a vote, Adrian Peterson gets my vote on that question. But the final he thing, yeah, the final I thing I got for you, man. <laughs> I want to. So we're talking quarterback earlier and where Oklahoma goes. Uh, the Sooners recently offered Derek Lagway, who is a a guy Baylor is really high on. Uh, what are your thoughts as someone who evaluates and looks at these guys? What are your thoughts on Lagway? Yeah, you know, um, I, I haven't really evaluated him in person. Um, obviously, super talented, a uh, you know five star, top twenty guy in the composite. So, uh, man, Oklahoma. I mean, these are the guys though that uh, obviously Baylor <laughs> is going to be uh, in on these types of players, but. Uh, Obviously, everything in terms of the early evaluation, this guy fits the part in all areas. 6'2", 215, he's got a good build. Um, so, yeah, obviously, uh, <laughs> he's he's going to be a player to track. What what are we looking at, a 24 here? So, yeah, 24. And I'm starting to feel old when I, when I start to uh, <laughs> look at some of the years of these kids. I'm like, wow. Yeah, don't feel right. <laughs> no, we're in 2024 now. So, yeah, su- super talented, really, really good uh, live arm uh, in Lagway and uh, a player that, um, that certainly he's he's worthy of his ranking early at this point in the process. And last question for you for now. Um, as someone covering a Big 12 opponent from the outside, what do you see for Baylor this season? Yeah, you, you know, I actually <laughs> – I, I had a chance to sit in and listen to some of what you guys were talking about a little bit before, but um, I, I like Baylor. I think uh, you look at Oklahoma and Baylor um, at the the top there. Um, that that meeting in Norman is going to be a really interesting one. It, it is, and I think uh, early November certainly that game could uh, decide what what we see in terms of the regular season and obviously the big 12 championship uh, when it comes down a few weeks later. So, uh, but Baylor's going to be stout. There's no doubt about it. They're, they're going to be what we've seen uh, under uh, Aranda here. And uh, the, the big 12, big 12 champions guys. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you pay your respect, except for so many years, Oklahoma has got this streak going. Well, Baylor's a big 12 champion right now. And so uh, they're the champion until you knock them off the perch. Joey, tell everybody where they can find your work and where they can find you on social media. Sure. You can, uh, if I can recall all this information right now, I think I can. OUinsider.com is uh, where you can check out all our stuff. Of course, we got um, all kinds of uh, finishing things from the spring football season here. And then uh, my Twitter handle is at JoeyHelmer247. So you can engage with me on there if you might not uh, always agree with what I have to say, but you can find me on there, and I'd be uh, more than willing to uh, definitely engage with you guys. All right, Joey. Hey, we appreciate you joining us, man. Yeah, thanks so much. Hey, thank you guys for having me on. All right, there he goes. That's Joey Helmer from Oklahoma's 247 Sports Side, and that's all the time we have for today. We appreciate you listening to the Bears Illustrated podcast.